record coming up. We got Let's Talk Vets. You don't want to go anywhere. Don't want to miss this show. And uh, this is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from Wayne Memorial Hospital, a certified primary stroke center and level four trauma center. Wayne Memorial also opened a cardiac cath lab in 2016 and celebrates its centennial this year. WMH.org. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. RiverReporter.com. Well, good evening. Welcome to a special Veterans Day edition of Let's Talk Vets, right here on Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, here to provide you with news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Now, this program is always dedicated to the 1%. I'm not referring to the folks who are often vilified by feckless politicians for the crime of achievement. No, I mean the men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces who make up roughly 1% of the U.S. population. And these are the folks who write a blank check back by their lives when they raise their hand to take the oath of enlistment. Today is Veterans Day, a day set aside to show our support for those who have served and those who continue to serve in the United States Armed Forces. Unfortunately, there's a big divide between our military and civilian populations. Well, there are many reasons for this. First, as we said, the U.S. military makes up roughly 1% of the U.S. population. As generations pass, of course, those who witnessed historical conflict and events firsthand age and pass on. And, of course, our students are often being taught by those who worship at the altar of historical revision. And then there's the folks who consider the military a necessary evil to be tolerated, not celebrated. So whether you support our men and women in uniform or not, rest assured they will always be there to support you and protect your rights, whether you deserve it or not. Well, this program is my humble attempt to remind our listeners that our vets should be supported and celebrated all year long, not just on Veterans Day. But first, here are some notable dates in November. November is National Veteran and Military Family Month, Warrior Care Month, and National Family Caregivers Month. National Veteran Small Business Week is November 2nd through the 6th. The Marine Corps birthday is November 10th. Veterans Day and Armistice Day and Remembrance Day are all celebrated around the world and here in the U.S. on November 11th. And, of course, Thanksgiving is the fourth Thursday in November. Now, on Memorial Day 2019, I was privileged to attend the Living History Oral Expression Competition in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, where 14 area students gave their renditions of Civil War letters, documents, and addresses. One of the folks who organized this event was Teresa Cahagis, and at the beginning of the event, Teresa read the following poem, which I think says it all. It is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. 
It is the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to assemble. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes the flag, who serves under the flag, and whose coffin will be draped by the flag. May we just take a moment to remember our veterans. I'm just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone. Up and down, bright and early, I'm all business in my suit. Yeah, I'm dressed up for success, from my head down to my boots. I don't do it for the money, there's bills that I can't pay. I don't do it for the glory, I just do it anyway. Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good under pressure, being all that I can be. And I can't call in sick on Mondays when the weekend's been too strong. I just work straight through the holidays, sometimes all night long. You can bet that I stand ready When the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core And I will always do my duty hey, No matter what the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's as to me I'll bear that cross with honor Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my brothers and my sisters I will proudly take a stand When liberty's in jeopardy I will always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines Sleep in peace tonight Veterans Day is an official United States holiday observed annually on the 11th of November. 
It honors U.S. military veterans and coincides with other holidays, including Armistice Day and Remembrance Day, which are celebrated in other countries around the world, but all mark the anniversary of the end of the Great War, World War I. Major hostilities of World War I were formally ended on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, when the armistice with Germany went into effect. The United States observed Armistice Day until the date was renamed Veterans Day in 1954. The United States declared war on Germany April 6, 1917, more than two and a half years after World War I had begun. Before committing boots on the ground, the U.S. had remained neutral, though it had been an important supplier to Great Britain and other Allied powers. American soldiers under General of the Army's John Pershing, Commander-in-Chief, American Expeditionary Forces, arrived in large numbers on the Western Front in the summer of 1918. Now, during the war, the U.S. mobilized over 4 million military personnel and suffered 110,000 deaths including around 45,000 who died of the 1918 Spanish influenza outbreak. 30,000 of those died en route to France. The war saw a dramatic expansion of the United States government in an effort to harness the war effort and a significant increase in the size of the U.S. armed forces. Allied forces endured some of the most brutal conditions imaginable. Trenches were employed on both sides as shelter and fortress, and the constant exposure to damp wet conditions devastated the troops. The influenza epidemic spread around the globe, and in two years one-fifth of the world's population was infected. Those 20 to 40 years old were most likely to die in this pandemic, and in all 675,000 Americans died of influenza. To give you a better idea of what it was like for the troops on the ground, here is a dramatization of a letter written from those trenches to home. Dear ma'am, I'm writing you this letter because we're going over the top tomorrow and I think it might be my last day on earth. Things haven't been so bad lately. It's been quite boring, not much going on. Though the rats, the rats are everywhere and they tend to keep us amused. We have competitions in the trenches to see how many we can catch. And the winner is the person who collects the most corpses. It's freezing here, really cold. The food isn't so great either. There's only so many cans of bully beef you can eat and stale biscuits. This place isn't very nice. Death is all around. Only the other day, we lost about half our men in an attack. Johnny Jenkins, my best friend, is missing in action, presumed dead. It's the generals I can't stand. They're nowhere near the front line, they haven't got a clue what it's like to be here. And yet they and their officers, 50 miles behind the lines, make the decisions to send us over the top to our deaths. And for what? A few feet of land, which is useless to everyone scarred by war and totally useless. I haven't been able to wash in weeks. Lice are a really big problem, especially in the uniforms. We have to use a candle or a match to get rid of the lice sometimes. Trench foot, another problem. Because we don't get to take our shoes off from week to week, then our feet start to rot. Perhaps the worst thing that I heard or I've seen was after the gas attack the other day. The sound of the men howling, my friends, after inhaling some of the gas, burning their lungs from the inside. I think it was even worse than the machine guns. We seemed to kill man after man with no effort at all, cutting some of them in half. It's terrible to see. I don't get much sleep here. I can't, it's always so cold. I remember how enthusiastic I was at the start of the war, signing up for king and country to do my duty, to do my bit, to be a hero. But the more I think about it, the more I think that I was foolish. 
How could anybody see honour in this? Anyway, give my love to Dad and Mary, if you see her. Tell her thank you for the letter she sent me and the photo. They keep me going and I read them every day. And if you see Johnny Jenkins' family, keep an eye out for them. Make sure they're okay. He did done the same for me. He was a good man. And he died a hero's death. Anyway, I've got to go now. I need to try and get some sleep. We're meant to be going over the top of dawn tomorrow. Yours sincerely, your loving son, David. The shelling stopped on November 11, 1918, sending millions of American soldiers back to the United States to pick up where they had left off before joining or being drafted into the war effort. For one officer, that return meant facing a perfunctory public welcome and superficial support. Quote, The quick abandonment of the interest of our overseas men by Americans in general he observed three years after the armistice, is an indictment against us as a nation, not soon to be forgotten by the men in uniform from the other side. The soldier, a former Army officer later identified as Herbert B. Hayden, anonymously published his observation in an essay for the Atlantic Monthly. The severe effects of combat-related injuries, like the ones Hayden described in his essay, drew more public attention during the 1920s when the figure of the shell-shocked veteran became part of a larger debate over the government's responsibility to care for its military forces. The First World War saw more death than all of the Western Wars from 1790 to 1914 combined, and the American troops who arrived in France in 1917 were not insulated from that bloodshed. As one veteran remembered, fighting in the trenches was like getting slaughtered as fast as a sheep could go up a plank. When the fighting ended the next year, any sense of idealism the American public felt for the United States entering the war was quickly replaced with weariness and a strong desire to move on. There was little consideration for the men who survived the war and what their long-term needs would be. Organizations like the American Legion and the VFW were founded because the government could not and would not provide support for these returning troops. There was no national appetite to strengthen a depleted U.S. military. The airplane was crude, and what planes remained were in poor repair. In fact, General Billy Mitchell fought for the establishment of a separate air service which would become the Army Air Corps, and ultimately the U.S. Air Force. He took his fight to the press and ultimately was court-martialed and discharged, but not before he could predict that one day air power would be a major tool of war. Fast forward to World War II. Bill Capito is a familiar presence at many veterans' events in and around Sullivan County. Bill was kind enough to share the following letter his uncle wrote during World War II. In this letter, he predicts his own death. Sadly, his premonition became accurate, and his remains were never recovered. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is William Capito, and I am a Master of Ceremonies for the Veterans in Sullivan County. Since we can't have veterans ceremonies with all the people around, we're going to record this because we can't forget the men and women who gave their lives for our country. And what I'm going to do tonight is read a letter from one of the county residents. This was January 12th. 1944. Dear Mom, Pop, and Sisters, I'm sure I can express my thoughts better by writing a Jewish letter, but time is so short and right now so very precious that speed is very essential. Now I'm going to write a lot of silly things, so 
take it as face value. If I come out at this alive, you will never receive it. But if the instructions are carried out accordingly, it will be all over with me. I'm only taking this step so that you will all know that I went into this thing willingly and not reluctantly. I just wrote I was slightly crazy because they would be very far from the truth. I was inducted because there was a war to fight, and certainly that wasn't any of my doing. I believe that I received was written in cards and nothing would change it. You can also realize that as an American, I had something to fight for, and because I'm Jewish, I had something more to fight for. I wasn't going to let somebody else do my fighting for me. Anyway, I figure that whatever fate had in store for me, I wasn't in any position to change her plans. I write this so you would know what frame of mind I was in the day before we go out. I'm sitting at a table in a little Italian farmhouse, which is not too far from the front. I'm not only writing, but there's quite a few waiting to get a seat to write their letters. I wonder if there's anyone else who has the same plans that I have, namely writing in the same view as myself. My morale is high. I feel that luck is with me, but anything could happen. This fighting business is only a lot of common sense and a lot of luck because I suppose luck was against me. I'm in a swell outfit and since being here, made a number of friends that I know I can count on, and naturally vice versa. Quite a few things might happen. And my sister, so if God's will, I will still be alive, but the chances are very slim if you are notified by the government. I want you to feel proud of the fact I made the supreme sacrifice, as they say, and you can hold your head high knowing that I never did anything that would make you ashamed of me. I want life to go on as usual as far as the family is concerned and that your husband comes home and you live happily and a normal life. I haven't any regrets. I think I know what life is. I know that it's going to be hard on Ma and Pa, but I wish, I mean, I demand that they carry on with their life and not let my death in any way deter them from enjoying a peaceful life. It's hard to explain my feelings because I'm the best of health right now and only to pray to God to be able to write happier letters than this one. I spent the day being present at the gathering of a battalion today and was thrilled to have General Mark Clark present the Congressional Medal of Honor to a lieutenant for doing combat that really deserved better than that. Four other non-commissioned officers were also given the DSC. General Trescott was there, so I feel that very seldom is such a cemetery possibly seen by a soldier. Just got under the wire in being assigned to this outfit. It really gave me a thrill. You probably see them in the newsreels. Tonight, I attended the Jewish services conducted by a Protestant chaplain. I was accompanied by a staff sergeant, and it relieved me a great deal. There are only 12 of us beside the chaplain, but we also took part in the services. He was a swell guy. If you think it's easy to end this letter, you're mistaken. At the end, I must say again, I'm begging you, don't take it too hard and hold your head high. I'm going to do everything in my power to do my job and keep this letter from being delivered. But as you wouldn't know anything about it, the unforeseen didn't happen. Love, Willie. Now, this letter was written by my uncle, who was from Hurleyville, New York. And he had a premonition that the next day he was going out on a patrol with about nine other guys, and he wasn't coming back. And what happened was he and the nine other guys were out on the patrol, and there was a company behind them. And uh, he was the scout. He got up on the top of the hill, and he saw a German battalion or company coming up behind him. He got up and yelled. They heard him, and they shot him. The nine other guys were captured and taken to a prison camp. Uh, his body was never found, and uh, we've been for years we've been searching to see if you know we could find him, but we never did. Sad, as you can imagine, because this is my uncle who I never got to meet, and I am named after him. And I appreciate everybody who remembers all these men and women that were killed. Services. Unfortunately, with the virus, we can't all meet together, but this is the next best way to do it. And again, I want to thank WJFF for 
uh, letting me say a few words on the radio. My dear son, it's almost June. I hope this letter catches up to you and finds you well. It's been dry, but they're calling for rain. And everything's the same old same in Johnsonville. Your stubborn old daddy ain't said too much. But I'm sure you know he sends his love And she goes on In a letter from home I hold it up and show my buddies Like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy And they all laugh like there's something funny About the way I talk When I say mama sends her best y'all I fold it up and put it in my shirt and Pick up my gun and get back to work And it keeps me driving on Waiting on Letters from home My dearest love, it's almost dawn I've been lying here all night long Wondering where you might be I saw your mama and I showed her the ring Man on the television said something So I couldn't sleep But I'll be alright, I'm just missing you And this is me kissing you X's and O's In a letter from home I hold it up and show my buddies Like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy And they all laugh Oh, she calls me honey But they take it hard Cause I don't read the good part I fold it up and put it in my shirt Pick up my gun and get back to work And it keeps me driving on Waiting on Letters from home Dear son, I know I ain't written Sitting there tonight alone in the kitchen It occurs to me I might not have said so I'll say it now Son, you make me proud I hold it up and show my buddies Like we ain't scared and our boots ain't muddy But no one laughs Cause there ain't nothing funny when a soldier cries And I just wipe my eyes I fold it up and put it in my shirt Pick up my gun and get back to work And it keeps me driving home Waiting on Letters from home. War is the inevitable result of failed diplomacy. If we could go back and interview soldiers from every war regardless of when or where the battles were waged, I think we'd find some common ground in their thoughts, concerns, their gripes, and their fears. Why is it that our young men and women continue to raise their hand, take the oath of enlistment, to go into harm's way, and protect us? 
Perhaps it's our father, mother, brother, sister, or some other relation or friend who put their hopes and dreams on hold to serve and protect the citizens of this country. They went for many different reasons. It might have been a draft, or it might have been a family tradition or expectations passed down from generation to generation. Often it was the patriotic response to an attack on our country, such as Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Regardless of the reasons, these men and women have answered the call of duty that few will ever experience. The weaponry has changed with technological advances, so it's more efficient, more deadly. But the enemy doesn't always play by the same rules, and even their crude weapons at times are very devastating. And the beat goes on. Young men and women serve, and some return, but most lose something along the way. Loss might be physical or psychological or both. The fact remains that too many of our veterans find themselves, they believe, without options, peace, or hope, and ultimately take their own lives, an average of 22 a day. Larry Winters is a vet and a contributor to this program. He returned from war an angry man, angry because, like so many others, the reality of war was different from what he had been told to expect and what he experienced injured his soul. One of the ways that Larry dealt with the moral injury and his anger was to write poetry and give words to his frustration and help bring healing to his soul. Every community in America could have a billboard as you enter the community that lists those soldiers killed in combat and a list of those soldiers and vets who have taken their own lives. This is the true cost of the bounty we all enjoy in the land of the free. Vietnam vets who have committed suicide are now far beyond the 58,000 killed in the war. Today's soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan wars that committed suicide is five times the number killed in combat. Is the media making enough of the suicides occurring in the military and in the veteran population? And is the public able to tolerate listening? I refuse to believe folks don't care that their loved ones friends and community members are choosing death over living. No one institution seems to know why the numbers are so high, but it is all too obvious that some of what is going on is the after-effects of war, as well as soldiers' fears of a second or third deployment. It may be facing a war that started when many of today's recruits were eight or nine years old. Some soldiers may feel shame or fear for not wanting to go to war that a country supports, so instead they kill themselves. I really don't know, and I don't think anyone else does either. Do soldiers and vets who take their own lives belong on the same honor roll that the dead combat soldiers are on? I say yes. If we acknowledge the moral and psychological ramifications created by war on soldiers, the military and government must stop trying to explain these human sacrifices with confusing statistics. In the minds of suicide victims, there are a panoply of reasons from guilt, rage, betrayal, love for those who they feel do not deserve living with their torment. For some, they may need a moral payback for lines that they feel they may have crossed. These men and women do not deserve judgment from the society that they once protected. Larry Winters, ex-Marine, 
licensed mental health counselor. This is WJFF, and you're listening to Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. You know, on Veterans Day, and for that matter, all year long, everyone needs to thank vets for their service. And when you say that, I hope you'll reflect on some of what you've heard here and understand the true extent and sacrifice that these men and women have made. Their attitude and their service say to all of us, rest easy. Nothing's going to hurt you. Not on my watch. So let's continue with our tributes to vets with the voices of vets. And one of the most consequential legacies of serving is coming back to a world that has changed since you left. And, of course, you're not the same either. It could be family that has learned how to make do without you or the child who doesn't know who you are. Identity loss can be devastating and amplify symptoms of PTS. Now, a while ago, we chatted with a remarkable man, Marty Klein of Woodstock. Marty contracted a rare eye disease while in the United States Air Force, was medically discharged, and subsequently lost his sight altogether. Marty began a grassroots movement simply called, Why Can't We Serve? And it's based on the premise that those service members who are no longer able to perform their primary MOS due to injury or illness should be able to continue to serve with the same accommodations required of private industry under the Americans with Disabilities Act. In fact, service members with 15 years active duty will typically be allowed to remain in some capacity. Marty has produced a very compelling movie by the same name and wrote and performed this next song as a message of hope for those who feel abandoned by their government, their country, and perhaps their family and their friends. I have the will to survive If I get what I need to stay alive And I don't indulge in feeling so deprived I gotta make a move to get myself satisfied Satisfied And you have the will to survive Yes, you do. If you get what you need to stay alive, that's right. And if you don't indulge in feeling so deprived, you gotta make a move to get yourself
The term police action sounds like crowd control or a big traffic jam, but it was in fact the term used to describe the Korean War, you know, the Forgotten War. And as you will hear, to call this conflict a police action was a gross understatement. I was sitting in a tavern with a bunch of other vets and everything else who were drinking, and at that time the TVs finally came on. And all of a sudden, they interrupted the broadcast. China invaded, uh, helping North Korea and go after the South Korean and American troops. And we all screamed at them, and, and so he says, let's go downtown and re-enlist. One soldier came up and told me, he says, uh, you're going to Korea. He says, uh, you're going to leave and go to Korea in about a week. I said, that's what I joined the Army for. Everybody was going because of the conflict over there and that stuff, so we figured that's your duty, you know. As a combat soldier, you don't have a nice house to live in anymore. You're living in a bunker facilities. You're eating uh, sea ration food. And uh, you have a disciplinary uh, thing such as you cannot be within five foot of another soldier. You just did not have the comforts of home. Our job as radio operators, you had to go where something was happening. Uh, we didn't have the luxury of, of sometimes being stationed someplace and not being used. We were always being used because there was always something. The Army areas were so big, the 8th Army was so big, there was always something going on someplace. So your chances of being sent someplace with action is, it was very possible. Up on the mountaintop, we had a view of the whole North, and North Korea coast, and we seen line and lines of car trucks coming down, bringing the troops down. It was just an endless. Then all of a sudden, I heard two voices on, there was about 12 of us, I think, spread out along this pile of rocks, and I heard voices on the other side, and they weren't American voices. And I became concerned because then I became afraid of a, of a hand grenade or an explosive device that would, you know, really harm me. And I thought, well, somebody's got to do something. So I jumped up and I had my uh, M1 rifle and it has eight rounds. And I looked down and there was two young Chinese soldiers. and. I was practically next to them, and I pulled the, tr the trigger eight times, moving it towards each of them, and they dropped down, I presume dead or wounded. And I heard the shell, but then I didn't hear it no more. And all I did was see a big orange ball, and I looked out, and I looked from my helmet, I felt like a turtle, because it seemed like my helmet covered my whole body. So one medic asked me, he says, where were you at if you were in here? You didn't get hurt. I told him I was right here, right next to the door. He said, you sure? I said, yeah. He says, I squatted down. He said, you're lucky. He says, he turned around. He says, see this hole? That would have been your head. I contact my wife, get me out of here. You know, I don't want to die in this godforsaken. You know, that was one of my experiences when I'd seen what we were we were over there to take and protect that country it was so prehistoric to me. What were we doing there losing all of our fellows, you know? It was that was ridiculous. It stayed with me a long while and it stayed and even when I came back I would have nightmares. And I still have night not nightmares, but I still sometimes wake up and I think I'm I think I'm going to Korea again. I said, I don't wanna go, you know, and I wake up and say, Hell, I'm eighty four years old now. <laughs> It was a police action, just like everything else, Iraq, and, you know, we're going over there, and people don't consider it a war. It's still a police action, you know, they call it, but like I told you, well, you know that, 54,000 guys lost over there, and that's, that's uh, absurd. Anytime you can avoid war, avoid it. It's stupid. It's stupid people who are always pushing for something that, that somebody does not want to give me, you're always pushing for that, don't. That's, that's the one thing that I would go for. And we got kids uh, 
stationed all over the world. I said, bring them home. And then there was Vietnam, and again, our service members were sent into harm's way for what they were told was a noble cause. One out of every ten Americans who served in Vietnam was a casualty. 58,148 men and women were killed, and 304,000 wounded out of the 2.7 million who served. Although the percent that died is similar to other wars, amputations and crippling wounds were 300% higher than in World War II. And once again, those who returned carried the burden of guilt, anger, and loss. On the home front, support for the war fell as the body count rose. And anti-war demonstrations became mainstream. Dear Second Family, How's everything going on around the house? I hope it's okay. Got some time to write. It's been nearly 50 years since Charles Miller served in the Vietnam War, but letters from that time period bring back memories that Charles says he might otherwise forget. Then just about two nights ago, we got ambushed around 12.30 a.m. Our whole company was moving across the open rice paddies. I do remember going out in the uh, open, the rice paddies there. These letters were written to a close friend who he always referred to as his second family. This is November 25th. We're up in the Quezon Mountains at the time. Dear Second Family, how is everything going on around the house? I hope it's okay. Around here it's miserable, but I mean it's cold. I can't wait till this op is over with because a lot of my friends that I have known for a long time has been killed. But they opened up on us, us two. And we hit the, we hit the dirt and they were shooting at us, trying to get us. I guess, God was looking out for me because I had, you know, places where, you know, I probably shouldn't even be around. Shortly after writing that letter, on December 23, 1969, Charles was injured from an explosion. He couldn't return to the war, so came to work in Lancaster at Armstrong World Industries. After 30 years of working there, Charles worked for the Lancaster County Veteran Affairs Office. The war people are asking me about the war, you know, did you glad you went? I said, yeah, I served my country. And from time to time, Charles can go back and read those letters, reminding him of what happened in the jungles of Vietnam. I'll soon be home. Got to go now. Have to get some sleep before I go out on the ambush. See you soon. And me, God bless you. Love, Charles. Upon their return from Vietnam, our troops were often spit upon and abused by the very people they were sent to protect. We can all agree in hindsight that Vietnam was a war we never should have entered. But why would anyone disrespect the young men and women who fought, were injured, and died to preserve the right of free speech and their right to protest? Even celebrities like Jane Fonda did their best to lower morale deride the troops and give aid and comfort to the enemy. It was treasonous and despicable. On September 11, 2001, the unthinkable happened as a new type of war called terrorism came to our shores. Many were compelled by their outrage and patriotism to enlist in the armed forces, and so began a series of wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and elsewhere in the Middle East. Leveraging home court advantage, our enemies introduced new weapons called IEDs, improvised explosive devices, which inflicted horrific physical carnage. And as with Korea and Vietnam, clear identification of the enemy was seldom possible. And as a result, many non-combatants lost their lives, and our troops once again carried the guilt home. We got hit by multiple IEDs. I was hit by one. Uh, I was riding in the back of a truck. Uh, ended up getting hit when I was just having to take my seatbelt off and reach over across the uh, gunner's platform to grab a bottle of water when we got hit. And uh, it, it really just went so fast at that point. And then it just slowed down. And it was just like 
every, everything just kind of stopped. When the blast hit, I was thrown up and hit my head on the, uh, the roof of the truck. And on my way up, I seen my gunner's legs going out of the turret. You know, you come back and you just don't feel the same. It's almost like I just miss it. I don't know, I haven't figured out how to put it to the side and just be a normal civilian, you know. I like to think that my deployment was worth it. You know, I like, we, we all like to think that we made a difference. I'm proud every day of that uniform. Veterans Day to me is a day to remember all those who have served and just to honor them, you know, and the things that they've done and the things that they've accomplished to, to give us a better future. If you want to show your support or find out how to show your support, just look up organizations that, that help veterans coming back. Maybe a church or organization that sends care packages out there. Because, I mean, when we got out there, we didn't have anything. I mean, it, it would have been nice to have some baby wipes, you know. Or, you know, just stupid little things, you know. Th those are the things that you get home at the end of the day and you just happen to get a care package from the local church, you know. And, Hey, there's a Kit Kat in there. I've been eating MREs for three months straight and haven't had anything. And hey, I got a Kit Kat. You know, that's cool. You know, boosts a little bit of morale. You know, that little bit of support says, hey, what we're doing is appreciated. As we said earlier, war is the result of failed diplomacy. The politicians run up the bill, but it's the grunts that are left to pick up the tab. Through it all, the one constant is the effect the brutality of combat has on our servicemen and women. We hear the term post-traumatic stress used a lot, but do you really understand what this is? It's nothing new. It's been called combat disorder, combat fatigue, combat neuroses, complete exhaustion, operational exhaustion, shell shock. But in the Civil War, it was referred to as soldier's heart, which may be the most accurate term of all. Regardless of what we call it, PTS is a viral condition. When a soldier comes home, he or she is not the same person who deployed. Many carry with them the moral injury created by an event which cannot be reconciled with their conscience. In the same way a virus spreads, the demons they confront affect their family, friends, and associates. If you take one thing away from tonight's program, it should be that our veterans are incredible people who have earned respect. It is simply wrong that an average of 22 veterans a day take their own lives. We must, as a nation, find a way to eradicate veteran suicide. We gratefully acknowledge the following people and organizations for their contributions to this segment. Teresa Cahagis, Larry Winters, Marty Klein, Library of Congress, National Archives, and to you, of course, for joining us once again. Till our next formation, thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. We leave you tonight with a love song written from the soldier's point of view, expressing how it feels to find refuge from their demons in the arms of their one true soulmate. Good night. She
We're in the midst of our quiet fall fund drive. At times it may seem that Radio Catskill is always in need of your support. Well, we are. This radio station has served Sullivan, Pike, Wayne, and other counties for over 30 years without interruption. WJFF Radio Catskill will be here for you as long as you're here for us. Make your contribution now in any amount at WJFFradio.org. Support comes from the Women's Health Center in Holmesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes